is a moral call right here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. Hello, everybody. My name is Benjamin Day. And I am Jillian Mason. And today, I am sitting in front of an Emmy Award. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. Do you want to explain that? (laughs) No, no. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, like, I, you can't even. Did you win something? I've <laughs> won nothing, um, but I am. Um, I'm recording since my my home is now being dismantled by construction. Um, I am recording here at the home of um, poli sci professor Dr. Misty Parker and Emmy award winning journalist Katie Worth, um, and hopefully the presence of the Emmy in the background and the energy that's been left here by these two very <laughs> smart women is going to fuel us through this podcast today. It, it'll at least fuel you. Probably not me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I had a brief moment of hope where I was like, are they giving out Emmys for activism now? Uh, <laughs> maybe we could accomplish something, be recognized in our life. Best um, in an intersection. <laughs> well, if we didn't mention it already, this is the Medicare for All podcast. Oh, podcast yeah, it is. Right. Everybody. Yeah that needs health care. So here on our podcast, obviously, we love calling out the bad actors in the healthcare system, greedy insurance companies, soulless CEOs and big pharma, profit-hungry so-called nonprofit hospitals. I'm putting that in quotes if you're listening on the podcast in the audio format. Um, And all of the other villains in the healthcare system, which we have way, way, way too many of. So, you know, we look at the ways that all these predators target sick people and poor people for exploitation. But today we're looking at what happens when they start fighting each other for a bigger piece of the pie. You would think that would be a good thing, like watching a a cage match between your least favorite people. But it's it turns out not to be that great for us. (laughs) So uh, specifically, we're going to look at the world of hospital consolidation. That's when hospitals uh, merge together to form giant corporate entities that are called health systems. Um, The health systems often include hospitals, but they also have like health health centers. They have clinics. They have outpatient services. They have physician networks. They they have everything. Um, And, you know, what does hospital consolidation mean just for regular people like us? So no spoilers. Uh, Maybe this will be a bit of a spoiler, but it turns out when giant healthcare monsters go at it, um, much like Godzilla taking on Mothra, it is the rest of us tiny humans who suffer. Um, it feels exactly what it's like to navigate the healthcare system. So, yeah, <laughs> it's good stuff, right? Um, yeah. So, like hospital consolidation sounds boring, but when you say that it's just like Godzilla and Mothra, who couldn't be interested? Uh, Mergers and acquisitions. <laughs> Mergers very and acquisitions. Yeah, we're going to be using a lot of weird capitalist language that's very strange to us on this uh, on this podcast. Um, but, you know, let's just start, right? So we're in America. America? Um, I'm in Texas. Sorry, Ben's in America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we fundamentally believe, both in Texas and America, that bigger is better. 
right? So you want a bigger shopping mall, you want an all-you-can-eat buffet, you want a bigger truck and a bigger SUV. So what could possibly be wrong with having a bigger healthcare corporation? Well, it turns out a lot of things can go wrong. And for the record, I I am all in favor of the all-you-can-eat buffets. SUVs and trucks, maybe we don't need this. Oh, I can't wait till you come to visit Ben because Texas buffet is mwah. yes. Oh God, I yeah, I want that brisket. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to tell you a little Massachusettsy story. Um, yeah. You say we're in America, but I think we may be in in Russia. If you ask someone in Texas, <laughs> oh dear, the, 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 the Soviet homeland. Um, <laughs> so anyway. But here's my little story. Back in the 1990s, uh, two of Boston's biggest hospitals merged to create this mega corporation called Partners Health. Um, they actually just renamed themselves again, I think. I don't even know what the new name is yet. Um, and over the next two decades after that, Partners bought up like everything. They like they like merged in all of the health clinics in the greater Boston area, other smaller hospitals. They just like became this behemoth that was providing, you know, way, way more than half the care in Massachusetts. Um, So why did this happen? And this is, I think, a common story that a lot of these mergers started in the 90s, these mega mergers, even though they continue today. Uh, Why did this start happening in the 90s? Well, because that's when uh, the early 90s is when all the insurance companies were merging and consolidating (laughs) um, and they were launching, you know, managed care, uh, which we've talked about on the show this is all the things that you hate in life. With probably. some disdain. Yeah, we've talked about managed care with a great deal of disdain. Yeah. Managed care, that's the pre-approvals. That's insurance companies uh, denying your claim after you've already received the care. All the really, really nasty shit that insurance companies do meddling. But but part of the, that managed care era was insurance companies were like, we're going to get really big and that will let us negotiate lower prices for ho- from hospitals. We'll have all this power. We can squeeze hospitals and force them to 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 provide services for less. So hospitals were like, "Great, now we're going to merge and turn into these mega hospital corporations, and then you can't do that anymore." So um, it uh, you would think uh, maybe if hospitals merged, that they would then be able to negotiate the the higher prices. Well, yeah, because like if someone's, I mean, if someone's going to take on the insurance company, like yeah, go go for it, bro. You know, yes. Although the higher okay. price is not great, those get passed <laughs> on to us. Um, oh. But what happened was something actually completely unexpected. Now there is there's this very famous uh, uh, sort of investigative journalism piece that was published in the Boston Globe a bunch of years back, and they uncovered what had happened uh, was that Partners was huge. There was only one really giant insurance company in Massachusetts, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield. And what they did was they got together in kind of a closed door setting and they said, let's not fight. Let's just both get rich off of this healthcare system. So uh, they both basically Blue Cross said, okay, we're not going to try and negotiate low prices with you. You can just charge us really, really high prices. We'll pass them on to the consumers. And then um, what, what partners got in exchange, or, or what the what Blue Cross got in exchange uh, for for paying these high prices to the hospital, was that uh, partners agreed to force those same high prices on the other insurance companies, not oh. to let the other insurance companies underbid Blue Cross. Fantastic. So they're like, we're just have a little handshake deal here where we'll uh, we're going to jack up prices really really high in the coming years. 
We'll pass them all on to, you know, the poor suckers who pay their health insurance premiums or have it deducted from their paychecks. And we're all going to do really, really well under the system. So that's what happened behind closed doors. And lo and behold, prices skyrocketed in the Boston area since then. We still have some of the highest healthcare prices in the country. Um, and I suspect this is not such an unusual thing. I think the only unusual thing is that a reporter got a hold of this story <laughs> and, and published it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's my impression as well. You know, I used to be friends with a partner's lobbyist during this period. She shall How be unnamed. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, let's just say that healthcare reform tore us apart. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little, I don't think you respect what I do, and a little, I don't think I do. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> a former friend. Anyway, so yeah, so partners, and anyone who lives in partner, and anyone who lives in partners, Massachusetts, um, anyone who lives in Massachusetts knows partners and has had to fight with them at some point. Whether it be for coverage or you know whatever, it's awesome. Yes, they have a new name though. They're now called Mass General Brigham. Oh, they renamed themselves to the original name of the two hospitals that merged. It was oh, Mass General great. and Brigham and Women's <laughs> merging together. So I don't know. <laughs> when you get a bad name, when everyone hate knows you and hates you, you just change your brand. But that's like Apple rebranding to iPhone, right? Like right. one of their popular products. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's yeah. true. We know um, who you are. <laughs> <laughs> we know you. We see you. Um, oh, another people, another group of people we see, right? Um, <laughs> this episode was actually inspired by our friends at the Minnesota Nurses Association. Shout out to our beloved Jerry Katz. Um, and last year, they were actually fighting a proposed merger merger of uh, Fairview Sanford Health. And those are two giant corporations with dozens of hospitals and clinics, right? Uh, but fortunately, the nurses and the Minnesota patients got together and actually won the fight, um, and the merger talks got abandoned. Um, but consolidation across the healthcare system in the U.S. has run rampant for the past decade. Um, and so every possible healthcare corporation is just merging with every other possible healthcare corporation. Hospitals buying other hospitals, for-profit private equity firms buying up anything they can flip for a short-term profit, insurance companies buying hospitals, retail pharmacy chains buying pharmacy management. Oh God, I just hate all of it. I just hate all of it. (laughs) Julian, Jillian really likes writing things for me to say on the podcast that are like, <laughs> she knows are, are going to be awkward or embarrassing coming out of my mouth. I took a certain relish in writing that last paragraph for Jillian to say out loud. It was like, like the tongue twister challenge. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck this. I'm quitting. Also, fuck this. I quit. Yes. Um, but so basically at this point, right, it's like impossible for like a freestanding independent physician to practice on their own. Right. This is like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah, not the I same. Had a- when I was a kid, I had a, a my pediatrician was an independent um, uh, primary care doctor who practiced out of the first floor of his house. Those days are rapidly gone, I think. But can you tell me a little bit more? Because um, we're, I mean, we're mostly talking about the hospital mergers, like the you know, yeah. big provider systems merging together. Uh, but it does seem like like consolidation is happening kind of across the board, um, both. Um, among providers, but then also like vertically with like insurers and others. So what, what's the, what's the broader landscape here? 
Yeah, no, you're right. It's like a big clusterfuck where everyone's doing everybody. Um, <laughs> that sounds a lot nicer than this. <laughs> I know it does, doesn't it? It really spiced it up there for you, eh? Uh-huh. Um, all right. So we got a bunch of different kinds of consolidation. And, and uh, so one kind of consolidation is vertical consolidation. Um, this is like the healthcare equivalent of vertical integration in the business world. Um I, I don't even know how I know that term. Um, so <laughs> basically what that means is that um, there are like a bunch of different providers, right? And they offer different services along the same supply chain. So like uh, basically a hospital would acquire a physician practice so that the, you know, Brigham Women's would acquire your, you know, first floor doctor in his house, you know, his practice, right? And then they would have another physician. Um, so, you know, uh, so many different kinds of consolidation happening there in that like vertical way. Insurers are actually consolidating with provider entities. Um, and surprisingly, at this point, actually, the largest employer of physicians in the U.S. is now Optum, which is a subsidiary of United Health Group, our, some of our favorite people. That was crazy to me that when I saw that, that the, an insurer is the largest employer of doctors. This is so <laughs> but I guess it's, it's kind of like the logical conclusion of that the story we told about Blue Cross and partners. Just like, man, why are we fighting, man? Why don't we just both get rich together? Like they could just merge <laughs> and uh, and drop the pretense, right? That there's an actual market taking place. Yeah, <laughs> this is sweet ending. Can't you see you love each other? Uh, <laughs> um, so that's vertical consolidation. Um, Power couple. Well, Yes, power couple. What we're talking about here, though, is horizontal uh, consolidation. This is like the vertical consolidation. That's that's for another show, right? Um, Today, we're going to really focus in on when two like organizations come together and integrate. And basically what that means is like when two hospitals um, consolidate through a merger or two big health systems consolidate, um, which is, you know, all very scary. Um, but so these these different kinds of consolidation are definitely related. But again, today we're just going to mostly focus on the consolidation of hospitals because we know that a lot of people experience their healthcare through uh, through these major mega hospitals and are wondering why does my hospital's name stop <laughs> start changing every time I every time I see it. Um, and so um, and so one of the kind of important kinds of consolidation that I want to just like kind of highlight here though um, is uh, is the horizontal consolidation. It's a cross-market merger, right? And that's a merger between two healthcare providers that operate in different geographic markets for patient care. Um, so this could involve hospitals, health systems that are um, in neighboring markets, or it could just be entities that are hundreds or even thousands of miles apart, right? right. So like, like, I think that Minnesota merger that didn't happen, that was one of those. That I think Sanford was like a South Dakota-based hospital system, yeah, and they were going to buy yeah. out this massive Minnesota system, so they, they would span like multiple states. You know, it's interesting to me because, like, um, in the most conservative parts of America, regionalism is really big and important, right? Like, so, like, Texas, for example, right? Texans don't want, um, we, we have, like, signs on our highway that say, like, don't let Californians come and change our politics or whatever. Um, so, you know, Texans don't want a, a Californian or a Massachusettsian, um, Massachusettsian. 
Mass, Massachusetts. Anyway, they don't want mass hole. <laughs> I think it's the official term. <laughs> the way that they talk about it is like, no, we should have the we should have the opportunity to like locally control um, the way things are. This is like the states' rights argument, basically. Um, and so it's really funny that it's like their kind of version of capitalism that has actually enabled a world where your healthcare could actually be controlled by someone in Massachusetts at Partners, even if you live in California. Right. Lovely. Lovely. So, um, just like it, just like Texas me. controls its own energy grid, it's, <laughs> it's working swimmingly. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I want to knock wood. <laughs> I think that Emmy is working uh, on you because you you said cross market mergers. You introduced mm-hmm. us to. We're talking like smart people today, so things are happening right? over there. Thank you, Katie and Misty. Um, but so, yeah, so, and then the impact of this is is nuts, right? So, like, a, a handful of studies are basically showing that these cross-market mergers, people have only really begun to study this stuff right now, um, but that they can lead to increases in healthcare prices and that those hospitals may become less responsive to community needs, which makes perfect sense, shocking, right? Shocking, shocking. Mm. <laughs> are, you, are you saying that Ben in Boston doesn't understand our community needs in South Texas? Shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, so a bunch of different antitrust agencies have started to like take a closer look at these mergers and um, looking, especially across the ones that happen across different geographic re- uh, regions. Um, and and so basically they, they're investigating this, but they've yet to actually fully litigate a cross-market merger. Right. And I think in addition to the impact on patients, we should also flag the impact on hospital workers who it might hey, even yeah. get us for worse. I, we talked about this a lot in the, the episode we did on safe staffing ratios mm. um, and just how the, the transformation of the, the hospital system into like these giant mega health systems that are run by, you know, MBAs, people who don't know anything about healthcare. They just know about, you know, making profits essentially. Um, and they really put the squeeze on, on hospital staff, which I think also then that, that impacts patients down the road when they're, you know, slashing staffing ratios and stuff. And then you have these catastrophic impacts on the quality of care. So, yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a daisy chain of fuckery. Right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, we've been talking about this and we keep saying like, that this is like having a big impact, transforming healthcare, blah, blah, blah. But how then, how, common actually is this like is it big enough to make a significant difference from the because we're always getting screwed by the healthcare system right so how is this different from our usual screwing yeah you know i i I wasn't sure about this because i was like well maybe you know we have kind of a similar sized healthcare system that's just getting merged into fewer and fewer hands but actually it turns out that uh, the our healthcare system is shrinking (laughs) um so basically uh, and and the size of the shrinkage is is, is <laughs> shocking. So since basically um, in the United States, we had an increasing number of hospitals and a growing number of hospital beds all the way up through like the 1970s. And then after the 1970s, everything starts going to shit and it, it starts moving in the opposite direction. Right. So uh, since 1975, the number of total hospital beds in the United States has dropped by more than 50 percent. Um, so in 1975, we had, um, we had a, just over, uh, or just under one and a half million hospital beds across the whole country. By 2021, we had around 900,000 hospital beds. 
So from 1.5 million to less than 1 million beds. Well, that, that makes sense because there are fewer people now, right? Oh, oh wait, of course, no, yes. No. The, the famous shrinking population <laughs> of the United States. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> That's not it. And you might remember the, the, remember the little COVID pandemic thing we had that just like passed through briefly? Fading, fading um, into, <laughs> fading into and that. And how it completely overwhelmed hospital systems that were running out of beds and people were being rerouted to like different states to try have to be uh, treated at a hospital. And remember at, at that time we were looking at how countries like Germany had really had way, way, way more um, hospital beds per population than the United States does. Ours is very low. Right. Well, guess what? We actually, we weren't that bad, but we've had just a uh, plummeting hospital capacity in the United States. Um, and um, along with the hospital uh, decline in hospital beds, the number of actual hospitals has also plummeted. Um, so this is slightly different data. I'm, I'm looking at just urban hospitals here. But uh, in 1970, there were 783 urban hospitals in the United States. By 2010, there were only 426 urban hospitals. Oh, Almost cut in half, right? Um, and we, oh, my God. Yeah, I didn't... I didn't look at these statistics before we started talking. This is really <laughs> bad. Yeah, this is yeah. really, really bad. <laughs> and you can kind of guess where those hospitals were that closed, right? They're in the poor neighborhoods. They're in communities of color. And they're in rural rural parts of the country. Um, basically, anywhere where there's a lot of uninsured people or a lot of people who are on Medicaid uh, that doesn't pay as well. So... Um, I, some of the forces that are forcing hospitals to close sometimes are the same ones that force hospitals to merge. Um, it's it's just like if you're if you're if you're serving a uh, sort of a low income, a marginalized community, you're probably not making a, as much money from our for profit healthcare system, really struggling to get by. And so some hospitals are like, well, let's try and merge ourselves into a larger system, health system. Maybe we can survive that way, gain some bargaining power. Um, and some ultimately end up closing. Um, I'm I'm right next to the city of Quincy in, here in Massachusetts. Um, and Quincy Hospital did both. Um, they merged, they sold themselves into a for-profit hospital chain. So they kind of were part of this buyout and this merger. And then and then they closed two to three years later after the for-profit chain milked them of a little bit of profits and then shut them down. So you know, it's like I feel that it's the same for-profit pressures are leading to a lot of these different fucked up things happening, like the mergers and the closings um, and, you know, private equity swooping in and buying up distressed hospitals and then milking them for a little bit of cash before shutting them down. You know, it's like uh, all all in the pot here. So, yeah, the Quincy example is particularly fun, right, because it started out in the Caritas system, if I'm correctly um, i think it used to be a public hospital i think it used to be owned by quincy like w back in the day yeah, um, yeah. and then it, they sold to caritas originally with oh yes yeah, so that's the catholic church right right exactly so, yes yeah that's right yeah. yeah and so yeah so it's gone from a uh, public hospital to catholic church mm -hmm. <laughs> major corporation it's awesome yeah and they were brought up, bought out by a private equity firm too, in their in their dying gasps. Um, Sweet, but you know, uh, not surprisingly, uh, the the end result has been that there are huge, there's huge market concentration of hospitals in most 
areas of the country. So by 2017, in in the vast majority of markets, one hospital system had more than 50% of market share, um, just looking at hospital discharges. Um, so that's kind of the the new world we're living in um, and some of the impacts it's had on on our ability to access care. So It's totally like Walmart, right? Like Walmart comes in, takes over all the functions and all the different small shops and mainstream. Everything else closes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, it totally makes sense. Um, and then soon we're all getting paid Walmart wages. Right. And there's another story that I, we, we haven't researched it, so I can't, uh, I mean, I don't think we can go too far down the rabbit hole, but I, I know anecdotally that, um, uh, a lot of, especially health centers, not hospitals, but like smaller community health centers, um, str- will struggle financially. And so they'll merge into these big hospital systems, thinking that it will help them negotiate better prices with private insurance companies. And then they find out that they are like totally screwed within those larger hospital systems. And those hospital systems do not care about health centers, especially ones that are not generating profits for them. Uh, they see them as a loss and uh, they can be pretty ruthless once you get inside of one of those systems. Sad shit. Sad shit. All right. So, uh, Jillian, I guess I'm uh, as I we don't want to end with sad shit, right? Let's uh, no, never, <laughs> yes. never. Um, so let's think about this from an organizing perspective. Um, you know, I, I think some people's natural inclination to seeing all the bad shit that happens when hospitals merge is to say we need more competition, right? We need um, more hospitals yeah. competing with each other, and then the market is going to work its magic and lead to lower prices. Um, we are not really a markety, capitalisty uh, type of uh, shindig over here. So, <laughs> uh, interesting. So, what's your take on that, that competition narrative, and what is the the solution from kind of from our perspective? Okay, well, I think like when we did a little bit, so we found this throughout the research, right? People were like, oh, the problem with hospital consolidation is that it reduces competition. This was sort of just like kind of the rigueur, like, you know, every journalist said this at some point in their article, right? Um, but I, we sort of dug deeper and we kind of figured out that there was a little kind of interesting underlying twist there, right? So um, we looked at like this uh, 2019 New York Times article, um, this guy who's like a health economist, which is a job that shouldn't exist. <laughs> awesome <laughs> Uh, And he basically argues that um, mortality rates increase um, when competition falls. Wait, am I doing that right? Yes. More people die when there's less competition, right? And we were like, oh, okay. So then we looked, you know, we saw another thing in this article and it was like, um, you know, research from the Federal Trade Commission focused on the outcomes of about 2 million Medicare patients that were treated for heart conditions, right, over the course of, like, uh, almost 10 years, right? Um, That study revealed that in more uh, concentrated cardiology markets, so where these big companies had taken over, patients were more likely to experience heart attacks (laughs) in the emergency (laughs) department, face hospital readmissions, or even pass away. Now, part of that, we definitely question. We do not know if people experience more heart attacks when their local (laughs) hospital has been consolidated. My theory, as you know, is that people were shocked by the mergers and and just (laughs) (laughs) entered cardiac distress. (laughs) Amazing. 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 But so, you know, we've got these two studies that seem to indicate that competition is really important, right? Um, But we realized that the first, uh, that the, you know, first kind of sort of 
study that this was based on was actually a National Health Services study from England, right? Um, and uh, and then the second one is of Medicare patients, right? Which of course Medicare does actually. So since both of those are actually universal healthcare systems that uh, that re- regulate the reimbursements that these hospitals can get from the government, right? So so these hospitals were not competing in terms of money and cost. They were competing in terms of quality of care, which is a whole different scenario, right? Not the capitalist wet dream that comes to mind (laughs) when you say we need to increase hospital competition. (laughs) Uh, That's what I'm saying. You know, could you imagine? So like, you know, if you live in England, you actually don't have to worry about what hospital is going to be more or less expensive. You're just going to go to the one where you think you're going to get the best care. Right. Shocking. And the other, you know, the other weird thing about these giant hospital mergers is um, as insurance companies start doing more limited networks, it can become a real problem. You know, I, I've been in this plan, uh, the, an insurance plan, uh, sort of a marketplace plan for years. I, I just switched to a new one. Um, but for the last 10 to 15 years, I've been in this plan that does not include any of the big hospital systems. Um, so anytime a new entity merges into partners, I would lose them, right? I would lose access to them. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's also this really kind of uh, perverse interaction with merging merging of systems and limited networks at insurance uh, companies. Um, and of course, that's the reason they do it, is that they, they, they can get lower prices once you cut out these giant um, provider networks. Um, but it, it, it when, as soon as you do that, it's like, it's very hard to actually find specialists or the care that you need um, that's in your network and that you can reach uh, by any reasonable amount of driving. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be awesome if we all had Medicare for all. I, what I'm thinking is you know, that what would really be the best is, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you can say it with us, kids, Medicare for all. Exactly. Um, <laughs> You know, we just need to get the fucking market out of our healthcare system. What's wrong? Like, what's what's so what's so hard to understand? You right. Know? And the notion that, you know, I, I think even in the economics literature, everyone knows that markets don't work in healthcare. They don't work in health insurance, and they don't work in healthcare either. I mean, I think about like Cape Cod, for example, here in Massachusetts. Mm. There, there's one hospital on Cape Cod, and the population is not so big that you need more than one hospital. So under what circumstances are we going to have provider competition in <laughs> on Cape Cod, right? I mean, it, it, what are we going to have, two mini hospitals that then compete with each other? It doesn't make any sense, right? And most parts of the country are like this, where it, it doesn't even, it's not feasible to have a hospital competition. Um, so, and who, so who wants it? We just need a, a, a heavily regulated system where prices are fair across the board, regardless. I, I mean, if you have like Medicare has and like the National Health Service has sort of kind of fixed prices for all providers, I think mo- you wouldn't see most of these mergers, right? Because getting bigger wouldn't help you to squeeze more Get dollars. More money. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, this is all driven by the desire to have a pool of money big enough to swim in. Right. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> like a Scrooge McDuck type situation. Right. I think that was in the uh, remember the episode we did on a uh, uh, um, oh, luxury care. <laughs> Can you buy that at a hospital? Can you swim in dollars? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good times. Uh-huh. Oh, man. But yeah, I mean, just to 
long story short, we are not advocating for greater competition in hospitals. It's like, go back to our Godzilla and Mothra analogy, right? (laughs) (laughs) Neither Godzilla nor Mothra is the real villain of the story. The real villain is nuclear power that created both of them. Similarly, here... Uh, You know, it's not the hospital, whatever. It's this whole fucking system that has created a toxic healthcare system. Right. And there's there's kind of a race to be the biggest, um, which you can only go so far. Uh, We've almost reached like the threshold. Um, And um, and we the patients kind of get screwed in the end when. when uh, Just like that, the partners and Blue Cross sitting down in a. A, a, a suite somewhere, uh, some closed closed office, um, deciding to screw everyone over and get rich in the process. So um, yeah, I'm with you. And I, you know, the kind of competition we would like to see would be just like we were talking about earlier, like hospitals competing for patients because they provide better care, uh, maybe a better experience when you go there. You know, more compassionate care. <laughs> you know, more inclusive care. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to have to keep organizing, it turns out. It seems like every podcast ends this way. <laughs> <laughs> this gonna... podcast is just basically a validation of why we should stand Exactly. About. We're going to have to like build a social <laughs> movement or something. All right. Well, I hope you all get involved with that project. Um, you can sign up on our website if you want to get involved with organizing going into 2024. Um, and I want to thank our podcast team, of course. Our podcast manager is Angelique Davis. Our researcher for this episode was Joanna Borla. Um, and our show notes writer was Jerry Katz, um, who also kind of suggested this topic during one of our grab bag, our mail, mailbag, grab bag. We, mm. we grabbed the mail from the bag uh, question <laughs> episodes. And our audio editor, um, who is new, uh, first episode is Craig Stanton. Thank you for joining the team, Craig. Hey. Joanna, was, this is also her first episode. Actually, she did one episode when she was an intern. You're right. But this is did. her first episode as an official, legit Medicare for All podcast mm-hmm. researcher. So don't forget to like the episode, subscribe to the podcast on whatever uh, platform you guys use. And the show is a project of the Healthcare Now Education Fund. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. want to support our work, give us some cash so we can swim in it. <laughs> you can donate on our website at healthcare-now.org. Talk to you all soon. Stay safe and stay dangerous. <laughs> <laughs>